All right, welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We're in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions. Uh, you're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andrew. And we have a very special guest here. And this is, uh, uh, I know, our Tulsa Oiler listeners that we're gaining uh, quite a few listeners there is going to love uh, our special guest. Andrew, go right into the intro. This Absolutely. is our favorite player. Go right ahead. All right. So, yeah, today we've got our special guest and also fan favorite, Mike McKee. McKee played for the Lincoln Stars in the USHL from 2011 to 2013 and was drafted by the Detroit Red Wings in the fifth round during the 2012 NHL draft. He went on to play and study at Western Michigan University from 2013 to 2017. After college, he began his pro hockey career in 2017 with the Toledo walleye and has since been suiting up for the tulsa oilers in the echl obviously that like you said i know our tulsa oiler fans are pumped personally mike i am very excited you are i've been a fan favorite of yours for a while since you've been playing so welcome to the show man thanks for coming on today thanks guys appreciate it uh excited to be here absolutely so mike bring us through a little bit you grew up in uh ontario and, yep. uh, of course, uh, you know, talking to all of our hockey guests, everybody plays hockey at a young age. Uh, how did you get into hockey? And more specific, um, when did you decide to take, you know, hockey as, as a serious avenue to be a pro? Um, well, I'll start with the first question. Um, I grew up in a big hockey family. My mom's one of ten um, brothers and sisters. She's got six brothers, so I have six uncles. They all played hockey. Um not professionally or anything, but they all played it and loved the game. So as soon as I was four, they got me skates and always took me out. We had outdoor rinks in the backyard, stuff like that. Um, so I've been skating since I could walk. Um, but taking it seriously, probably when I was around, I don't know, you always have that dream to play in the NHL, right? But seriously, when I was maybe 13 or 14 and started turning heads a little bit in, in a small town in Ontario and then um, from there, 16, I got drafted into the OHL. Um, and that summer was kind of the real deal, like focus only on hockey, um, see how far you can take it kind of deal. So, yeah, you played in the USHL for two seasons before going on a plane at the university. What was it like? Because I know a lot of people now or, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, a lot of people in the hockey community kind of dissed the USHL league and didn't think that they provide a lot of pros coming out of there. But now you see a lot of guys that are coming from that, those league, that league and becoming onto the NHL. So what, what was your experience playing like in the USHL, you know, 10 years ago? Well, for me, I always wanted, well, it was important for my mom for me to get a college education. So I was in prep school before the OHL in uh, Connecticut, uh, Kent, um, played hockey there. And then went to the USHL and I just knew it was the best chance for me to um, earn a scholarship and, and pursue college hockey that way and a college education. And it, it, I mean, the league is good. It has so many good players. The team I was on, I think there's currently, I don't know, two or three guys playing in the NHL, Zach Aston Reese, Kevin Roy, Paul LaDue, Vinny LaTerry. Like we had some good players, man. And then a lot of uh, other teams are good players too. Talk to us a little, Mike, about um, you playing at the uh, university level, a little bit about uh, uh, the culture and um, what it was like at your university and uh, a little bit about your coach there. Okay. Yeah. Um, the hockey was good. It's, it's a different, it's a, it's a different game at the college level. It's more structured, I'd say. 
Um, you're only playing Friday, Saturday against the same team usually. Um, so you have a lot of preparation going into that team. Um, but it, it, it was good. I can't say enough good things about Andy Murray. Um, the guy's a legend. I've never seen somebody work so hard um, on his side of things. Every day we come to the rink, he, he had practice plans, everything written out to the minute of how long we're going to do the drills. Um, he, he was just an amazing guy. First guy in the, in the, in the rink, last guy out of the rink. Um, did does anything you can do to help guys um, pursue their career after hockey or um, with hockey. Um, it, it was just, it was just a good place to be. I met my fiance there. Um, it was a shock at the beginning, kind of just to get used to balancing the course load, the workload of school um, with also prioritizing hockey. Um, you know, when you're giving hockey, everything you got, it's hard to bring school, school along with it but I think Andy pushed us all to do that in, in, in a pretty good way and so there what was the transition like going from the USHL because you know you had over yeah. 500 penalty minutes in two years and then you go to you know college hockey you got the cage cages on yeah. can't fight what, what was that transition like and I think about that all the time because it was brutal for me my first my first couple years my first my first game um I got I think I got kicked out uh, for, for a bad hit. Um, I'd have a lot of penalties like after the whistle kind of deals where like you normally you'd think there'd be a fight happening and there, and there's not. Um, and maybe go a little bit too far. So for me, the adjustment was tough because I played more of a, a physical game in juniors and would drop the mitts anytime. And then, so it's just tough going, going to college. I think that that's what hurt me a little bit. Um, just, just a game of not, of not fighting and, and just, Stuff like that a little bit. So take us through, um, we've heard draft stories. You were drafted in the fifth round, I believe, right? Yep. yep. Um, how did you hear about, I mean, did you go to the draft? Did, uh, did you hear about it? Uh, what was kind of the story that you heard about the draft? Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of a funny story, actually. So the year before, I got drafted my second year of eligibility. So my first year, I was playing at Kent. And I thought for sure I was going to get drafted. I was ranked in the top 100 players in North America. I thought I was going. I went to the draft with my mom and my agent, bought a new suit, everything, sat there and sat through the whole thing. And it was, the, at that point, the worst hockey experience I've ever had. Just watching and you're thinking, your name's going to get called, your name's going to get called, and then it gets to the seventh round and you're like, oh, my God, you know. And, you know, spend money for the plane ticket, hotel room, all that stuff, and sat through it. But then that helped me the next year. So the next summer, I worked my ass off, had a good left uh, prep school a year early, um, went to went to Lincoln USHL, and um, and then I had a decent year. And then so the draft the draft comes around, guys are teams are kind of calling, kind of not asking where you're going to school, blah blah blah. Um, but I said I wasn't going to watch the draft. I'm like I don't I don't I don't want to see it. I don't want to know whatever. Um, so I went to the grocery store with my sister for whatever, just go pick up something. And, uh, and someone called me from the wings. I forget who it was, but he called me and he said, uh, Mike, are you, are you going to Western Michigan next year? I'm like, yeah. He goes, all right, we're picking you up in the, in the fifth round here. I'm like, what? <laughs> he, he, I forget who it was. I can't remember. I don't, I don't think it was Jim Nill because Jim Nill was still with him. I don't think he called me directly, but somebody with Jim, uh, Mr. Nill, it, just called and said, yeah, we're picking you up right here. 
I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. And then they just hung up the phone. Like they didn't, there wasn't any, there wasn't any like congratulations. They're just like, we're picking you up. And then bang. I was like, all right. Then my mom calls me. She's crying. And I get home. I get home from the grocery store. My mom's got a big banner that says congratulations from the year before. Because she still kept it. Yeah. She kept it like under her bed or something. It was like, Cause she made a whole big deal about it. Cause we thought the year before I was going, it was, it wasn't a guarantee obviously, but we thought for sure. And then I came home and she had, she had taped it up on her front porch and it was like, it was pretty nice. That so awesome. um, talking to hobby novice, you know, other than high school hockey here. Um, so you decide to go to college and mom was a big part of that decision. You said, uh, do you go to any rookie camps? Do you go to their training camp or is it, I mean, what happened? Yeah. So once I got drafted, um, they have, they have a little, they have a prospect camp every year. So um, that's usually around beginning of July, mid July. And I'd go to that. It's about four or five days long. And there's all sorts of um, conditioning tests, uh, strength tests and a bunch of on ice uh, games and practices and that's yeah about a week long and that's just to check in see where you're at see how you're developing they give you pointers they give you uh, tips things you can do to get better they kind of give you um like a like a uh, summary of your year and how they thought you performed and and where they see you going and do you go like every year that you're in college or is it just yep. you, you yeah, do I, went every, I went every year since i got drafted so I got drafted my first after my first year in Lincoln. So I went that summer. I went back to Lincoln. Um, then I went the summer before I went to Western. And then I went all the way through Western. And so was it hard? Because I know it's got to be, at least for those camps, you know, I know it's got to be the same style. You know, the NHL play, the physical. I mean, was that also hard of a transition? You're trying to uh, transition to the college game. But then when you go to those camps, I mean, you can kind of do what you want. I mean, was that pretty tough to kind of? Yeah, it, it was hard for me to figure out what kind of player they wanted me to be and 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 what they wanted from me. Because every time I went there, they they'd always talk about uh, skill development and, and we need to see you with with quicker feet and quicker hands and everything like that, which I respect and they were right. Um, but at the same time, you want to go there and say, "All right, I could be I could be a presence on your team. I could help. Um, you know, I I could be one of those guys they used to have like." like McCarty or, or, you know, just like somebody like that, that one of those guys that used to be a big player in the game that that's kind of getting phased out in a way, um, or that has been phased out really. That's just, um, it was, yeah, it was hard for me to, to kind of find a role in that, in that sense. So you finally, so you graduate college and did you sign with, uh, was it Toledo first? Well, it was, yeah, yeah. It was weird because you only played four games. Did you play the rest of the season? What was the transition to there? It was tough. So for me, it's, yeah, there's not really a feel-good story here. Like um, at the end of my senior year, I graduated. I didn't have a great college career. Um, so when I graduated, the wing said, yeah, uh, we'll just go our separate ways. Um, thanks, thanks, and I thank them, but they didn't have anything for me. I said, all right, that's fine. But then their Toledo coach called me, who's who's their who's their double A affiliate, right after we finished our season. He's like, All right, come out here for a couple games and we'll see what you got. And if we got room for you on the playoff roster, we'll keep you. But 
I mean, I'm pretty set with my guys already, but still come out and see if you can maybe prove something um, going into contracts in the summer. And so I went there. I played four games. I did all right. Um, but they had guys sent down and there was no room for me. You had to play a minimum 10 games to be on the playoff roster at the time, I think. And I wasn't going to get that in. Um, so that's, that's the way she goes. And how did you land up in Tulsa? So after, so after that, I end up, um, my agent ends up looking around and he gets me a tryout with St. Louis with the blues. So I go to their Traverse city tournament. Um, it's a, it's a prospects tournament. It's, it's different than the rookie camps. Um, and so I went there, I played with them and Rob Murray was the head coach of that team at the time. And so I got scratched the first two games, the first three games. And I played the last game. And, um, and after that, Murr handed me a contract and he said, I liked your game. I know you didn't play that much, but I think you could be a, a good player for me and I'll give you a chance. And, and so, so that's how that worked out. And so now, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, when you were first playing with the Oilers, you were a forward, right? And then transitioned to a defenseman. Well, and, and I was going to mention this. So this is what makes Mike McKee, for our listeners that might not know Mike, that makes him very, first of all, he, Mike, you're huge. You're like 6'4", 2", Six five two thirty five. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> a, a big guy, so um, you know you can you can you can do it all. But because of that big presence, Mike can be a forward and he can be a defenseman. And, and like I said, I've followed his career in Tulsa. So have you, Andrew? And you play both forward and and defenseman, and that's been valuable to you. It seems like. Um, Every team would want somebody that can play both positions. And I know you've been more defense lately, but that just might be where Murray wants you to be. But talk a little bit about you transitioning from, well, just being able to play both positions. I mean, that, it's tough to do. What's that like? Yeah, so when I left juniors, um, I played a couple games for Andy Murray as a defenseman. And we had good defensemen at the time. And he said, all right, you're not going to get in, but I like you at forward. So he played me fourth line forward. And so that's where I learned, uh, learned to play forward. Um, but I, yeah, I started off with Murr as a forward and being able to switch back and forth, to be honest, kept me, um, basically kept me a job because the way the, the way it works in the East coast league, like guys will get called up and guys will get hurt all the time. And then sometimes on rare occasion, you won't even have enough guys to field the full team. And so my first year, I was in and out of the lineup, in and out, playing forward, and then somebody got hurt on defense, and we didn't have anybody to fill. We couldn't call a guy up. We were on the road. And he said, all right, Mike, I'll send you back there. I know you used to play. Let's see what you got. So then I went up there and played good. And then that kept me in. And then I, he put me back on forward, but he dropped me back on D when he needed to. And it just kept me as kind of an option when, when, things, when things went wrong a little bit, you know. And then after that um, – I said, Murr, I just want to like focus on D. I'll obviously go up back and forth if you want me to, but I think I can be a good player as a defenseman in this league and a steady player. And he gave me a chance, and I think that I proved to him that I, I could be a reliable defenseman. Well, yeah, I mean, you're you're the first pairing for the whole season, I believe, if I'm looking at the lineups, if I remember right. So you definitely uh, proved that. And yeah, that was a huge step for me because my first, I mean, my four years ago in my first 12 games in the league, I think I only played one game. You know, yeah. and then now I'm now to be the first pair for the full year, play 65 games or whatever. It was 
it was good. It's a good feeling. So talk to us a little bit about in the four years, uh, because I've got questions, but the questions have got to be, we got to talk about uh, where you got to where you are from where you started uh, four years ago. What did you do differently or what did you do to really improve to the point that you are, you know, one of the, you know, MVPs of the team, you're on the first line on the defense, you had to work hard and you did, I, I always say you're the most improved player, but sometimes people say most improved means that you sucked at some point. <laughs> and and yeah. I, I'm talking about improvement where you just, it, I mean, you've been, a, you're a different player than when you were four years ago, but that's just me sitting here on the couch. You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> so how did you get there? What's some of the work, what's some of the things that maybe uh, the coaching staff has worked with you on? Well, yeah, that's funny because you're not wrong about that because I was most improved player my first two years on the team. So it's like, yeah, you, I was pretty bad at the beginning, but – and you already said it, just kept working my balls off, man. Just kept trying to stay out later after practice. I tried to lose a few pounds, you know, like I've always been bigger but not fat, just like stronger. Um, so I tried to drop a little bit of weight and, and just be able to play the game a little bit faster, make quicker decisions. And most of the time, man, it's just – guys giving you a chance to play so every time Murray put me on the ice I said I was going to do something to stand out so whether it was fighting the toughest guy on the other team or blocking a big shot or just being a steady defenseman and not getting scored on and then just repeating that day in and day out be the hardest working guy um, in practice in the weight room and then just carrying yourself in the right way off the ice I think um, it goes a long way if you can do that consistently through a whole season and then add on another season like that and then another season because you just keep going and again i'm not trying to get you in trouble here with uh with the coach but it just i mean yeah. i can say it uh it seemed like you know the first couple of years any wrong thing any mistake any uh puck handling mistake maybe taking a penalty and because you're so big uh, the refs are going to call you for something where they might not with a five foot nine guy it just seemed like every mistake Murray was just on your ass about it. it just, just <laughs> like, God damn it, you know. And yep. it, but he did, he seemed to be, and maybe I'm just biased because you you're my favorite player. But it just seemed to me he just had your number every time. Um, but it, I'm going to assume it was because he saw what your potential could be and kind of steering you in the right direction. Am I wrong on that? No, you're 100% right. Murr's a hell of a coach, and he's got a hell of a lot of um, experience playing the game, too. He's got a th over a 1,000 AHL games, a couple hundred NHL games, so he knows the game. And the thing about Murr is he, he's someone you got to prove yourself to. Um, and so right away, I think he, he gave me a little bit of a chance, but I'm not sure he saw um, really any potential, you know, um, but it, like we were talking about earlier, it was just, it turned out that by sheer numbers, I kind of got a chance to play and then got my opportunity that way to just show them that I could do something. But yeah, because when you're a rookie in the league, though, your leash is so short, unless you're a really, a really good power play guy and you're putting up 60 points or whatever. And there's so many players out there looking for a job um, that your leash is tiny. So you take a bad penalty and then you might sit five games, you know, you, you just don't know. But now I think I have a little bit longer of a leash, and and that's better. But yeah, and I would assume that just comes with experience. I mean, you yeah. know, and and the, and the trust in the coach. But you know, the East Coast League kind of reminds me 
of um, the old NHL. We've had some older players and they would talk about, you know, if you screwed up, you, you, you sat on the bench and you shut your mouth and you didn't say anything until you got another chance. And uh, a lot of the uh, older players we have on kind of complain about the NHL with, you know, these multimillionaires where they're kind yeah. of coddled, you know, yeah. it'd be more like, Mike, try not to do this yeah. next time. We're yeah. just going to say, you know, you know, that you're sitting and that's it. Well, yeah, he'll tell you when he mess up. And that's, that's kind of how I want it too. like, if I, I know I made a mistake, you, you, you didn't like my play, whatever tell me and then we're on the same page and then give me another chance and I'll, I'll show you can do better. And that's, I think that's how it should be. You don't, you don't need to hold my hand. Tell me straight up, you know? And so is obviously, you know, especially all of our Tulsa Oilers fans, you know, I, I hate to use the word enforcer, goon, anything like that, but you're clearly the guy, you're, you're, you're the guy to stick up for your teammates. I know other guys, too, that have been on the team, you know, aren't afraid to drop the gloves and everything, but you've always been the guy to look out for everybody. Obviously, we discussed earlier in the USHL, you know, you said you'd be more than willing to fight at any time, but was that always going to be a part of your game because you're always doing it so young? Did you have a plan, or was it kind of like at the time, your first two years, where you said that you didn't think you were as good, did you have to fight more to stay in? I, I don't think he had a choice. He's 6'4", 235. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's kind of a little bit of both. Yeah, like I was always the bigger, one of the biggest guys on the team, if not the biggest. But also, like when I was 16, the, the NHL was, was different than it was now. Like you had, you had like Sean Thorne, you had John Scott, you had Lou Cheech fighting every game. Like you had guys breaking in the league who were good players but who would fight all the time and they were tough. And then those were the guys who, who were getting jobs. And so when you, when I was younger, kind of comparing myself to other guys um, in the NHL, like seeing if who I could play, like it, it had to be part of, part of my game if I was going to ever make it. So, and then when I got here, it just, it also just kept me in the lineup. You know, we didn't have anybody to really do it. Other teams had tough guys who would kind of run around a little bit who would kind of take liberties and, you know, the East coast, there's only one rep on, on the ice. So he doesn't, he doesn't see everything. Um, so guys get chippy behind the play. They'll take cheap shots. And then sometimes it just takes a guy to, all right, let's take our helmets off. Let's drop our gloves and go toe to toe. And then maybe the play calms down and some guys have a little extra room out there, you know? And so, um, you know, when you were going into a moment like that, especially and in, in now to where um, there's what the 10 fight limit. Yeah. In the league, no. Has, has that stopped you at all? Because I know there's got to be some times where you're like, maybe you fought twice recently and maybe there's a cheap shot and you're just like, I can't do anything. And you don't want to go over there and face wash them and get a, a roughing yeah. call. So has that been difficult to adjust to that or is it not really matter? Yeah, I think that 10 rule, that 10 fight rule is garbage. It sucks. It's, it's like, so I had six fights halfway through the year and then now you're thinking you're looking over your shoulder, like you're counting how many, how many more can you have? Like when's my best chance here? what what's going on it's like if it's part of your game it's part of your game you could have my first year I think I had like 17 and it's just because I, I don't know why I guess I do know why they do that rule but I'm not a huge fan of it it, it, it does kind of suck so why why, why do you think they do that rule just so they have a, so they have a guy who's not out there only to fight right so there's not the guy who sits on the bench and plays one shifts and tries to fight somebody or or jump somebody and just beats the crap up, you know especially in our league, like with one rep on the ice, it's hard to control. It's hard to police as much. Um, they want guys who can play, but I think now 
it's gotten to the point where you got everybody can play. If you only have 10 forwards, you only have 60, everybody has to play. I think the 10 fight rule doesn't make any sense. So now you've, you know, you proved yourself as a fighter, uh, but, you know, you're also uh, a pretty, uh, how can I say this? You know, you're also a power defenseman and you step up into the play, you do all these things. Um, do you have, do you feel like you get a target on your back where, you know, we'd have some of the, uh, our guests on here and they would talk about, you know, they would have guys coming up saying, all right, Mike, you know, come on, you got to give me one now. you got to give me one. And you're in a position where you don't need to, you know, take anybody on to make a name for yourself. So you're on the other side of them trying to say, Hey, you got to give me one, Mike, how do you negotiate that? Well, for me, in my eyes, there's still a little bit of the code, you know, where there's a tough guy on the other team and, and maybe he, he's trying to get their guys going. They're down by two goals or something. Um, they're at home, their crowd's dead, whatever. He needs a bite. And usually I'll like, I'll oblige that. Um, just cause I think that's the way it kind of should be. Like if, if you're out there and you're a tough player and you're playing hard and somebody asks you to fight and, and you can handle your own, then, I mean, you don't, you don't back down from anybody. Right. So it's like, it's kind of like that, but the whole like stage fighting, maybe the guy asked me in warmups or whatever, I just, just skate away. I, I don't, don't really have time for that. I'm trying to, I still like playing. Like I, this year I played 25 minutes a night. You know, I like, I like playing. Fighting just comes along with the style of play. that I. But, but you know, your role has changed. And like I said, you know, I've, I've seen so many games where now you're, because you have played that forward role, you have that experience. You're not afraid to move the puck in and crash the net, um, you know, and you're, you're on defense. I mean, you'll get back, but I'm saying, you, you know, you're, you're so versatile now. And is the coach kind of telling you, Hey, Mike, I need you to, to do the rough stuff less and be a little bit more disciplined because I need you on the ice. Yeah. We've had that conversation a lot, actually, just like, you don't have to be looking over your shoulder every minute for a fight. If it's there, it's there, but a player game, because we kind of, we need you to play, play a good, like 200 foot game, be a good two way defenseman. And, you know, sometimes when you're when you're only worrying about the fight your play kind of you know if you, if you know you're fighting a tough guy like it's hard to focus on playing the game you know because you could get knocked knocked out in front of ten thousand people and it's brutal you know yeah, so you're looking over your shoulder you're grabbing your stick a little tight you're like when's it gonna happen is he gonna are we gonna do it like you know and that, that's tough but it's I'm, as i'm getting older it's just easier to balance for me playing and then all right, if I'm playing, if I'm playing good and I've had maybe three or four big hits and it's getting out of control and somebody wants to fight, then let's go, you know, but I'm not going to like negotiate a fight in warmups or anything like that, you know? Right. And so, um, I want to talk about the awesome 2018, 2019, that playoff run that you guys had and, and being yeah. the underdogs. And I mean, I got to say, you know, I love playoff hockey. Everybody talks about playoff hockey, how tough it is. I mean, being there in, in, in that atmosphere, especially I remember the first round, is probably one of the most physical series I think I've ever watched, NHL, ECHL. Obviously, when the playoffs goes, the intensity really, really turns up. But what is truly that atmosphere like, regardless of the league? I mean, just being in that playoff desperation, I mean, every night. Yeah, it's just everything's magnified. Like, every mistake you make seems to end up in the back of your net. Every shift you play hard because you know that that's what could happen. 
Um, the intensity of everybody is just so dialed in because everybody wants to win. And the way our league set up is you get bonuses for um, each round you advance too. So it's like a little extra money in your pocket. Everybody's fired up. Everybody wants to win. And, and with your team winning comes individual success, right? So like if you, if you can win a championship at the East Coast level, you never know. You might get it. You might get a tryout with an AHL team the next year just because you're on that team. You know, it just that's just the way it seems to work out sometimes. But it's it's the best kind of hockey there is. It, it's everybody's playing the right way. Everybody's playing hard, and it, it's a lot of fun. How, how hard is it to uh, to work under you know Coach Murray? He you know he's I, I have all the respect for him. I mean he's my age, so I, I remember him actually playing uh, in Washington. Yeah. And of course, and I remember him in Springfield and it's funny because, you know, uh, after the games, you know, you guys go up to the, you know, the bar with the fans and, you know, I don't really, you know, try to talk to too many players, but I remember talking to Murray once and, and he was talking about, it was a playoff time and it was all about discipline. And I'm thinking discipline, dude, when you were in the AHL and we've had, you know, Terry Virtue on, we've had uh, a plenty of AHLers that have played against them. And they're just like, he was a maniac. Like they called them an animal. They were like, he was an animal. There was no discipline. I mean, there was no discipline with him. He was nuts. So obviously he has that streak in him, but yet he seems to be a very, he demands a very disciplined style of play. Yeah, he does. And I think that's just where his his uh, his coaching style has had to transition differently from how hockey's developed in the past 30 years. Um, and then being a player and then being a coach like he can't as a coach, you can't tell your guys to go out there and do crazy and just go after guys like he wants guys to to be disciplined and not take stupid penalties. If a guy sometimes if a guy punches you in the mouth, the best play to do is skate away and then you got a power play. And that's in, in his mind, that's what the better play is, especially in playoff time. And so what, what was the locker room atmosphere like? Cause like I said, I remember you guys being the underdogs, you guys made it all the way to the third round. You guys went to multiple game sevens. I mean, it was very hard fought. What was that atmosphere like? I mean, was everybody really getting excited, really believing each other? Or was the confidence always there? Cause you guys, I mean, are professionals. We just had a bunch of guys who wanted to win, who just wanted to keep playing, who didn't want to go back to work, you know, who just wanted to to win and play as long as we could, you know, and we had all kinds of injuries. We lost, we lost both our goalies. We had, you know, like, and then we, we had guys, we had guys called up, so they weren't with the team anymore. And we just had a core group of guys um, who'd been around Tulsa for a while and who wanted to win because when I, when I got here and it was Murr's first year, um, we missed the playoffs by two points and then we had a good core group of guys back who wanted to win and prove that we were better than that. So, so is it hard to build a lot of good chemistry with your team, especially being the ECHL where guys are constantly called up, going down, whatever. I mean, is that hard to kind of keep a good, strong bond with the team? Yeah, it's tough, especially when guys are so year to year, they'll, they'll flip teams pretty quick. You know, there's not a lot of guys who play on the same team two years in a row or, or three or four years. Um, but having a guy like Pleskatch, who's been here for, I think, eight years now. Um, and then we had myself, we had uh, Sam Pear, who's been here a while, Williams, who's been here four years as well. Um, McNulty, Crom, um, just good professional guys who, who really want to win. That helps. That helps mesh a little bit. 
but that's what we struggled with this year too. Like with the COVID situation and not being able to do anything away from the rink as a team, you know, like it, there's, you can do stuff at the rink and, and everything and maybe go to somebody's apartment, but in terms of going out and, and having a gathering or whatever party, um, we kind of struggled with bringing everybody together in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that was going to be one of my follow-up questions too, Mike was, you know, obviously with the NHL, you know, they were very, very strict with COVID protocols. You can't even hang out with another player in their same hotel room. And we saw that uh, problem with Washington and getting fined 100000 and the Russian players, you know, not obeying the rules. What was the rules like for you guys, kind of what you're describing, but also how did they keep you guys accountable? I mean, were they really checking on you that much? Was coach calling you or? Well, we had – pretty much the same rules as the NHL, but also we're at the East coast level. So we're, so we're on the bus with each other for four hours at a time, you know? So like you, you can try and do whatever you want, but as soon as you walk onto a bus with 20 guys, like I think all that kind of goes out the window, you know, like we were, everybody was trying to be diligent about, um, they always wanted you to wear a mask. So guys were doing that. Um, they didn't want you to hang out at apartments and that's fine. But like four guys, we had groups of four living together, you know? Um, so we just did the best we could to try to not, um, to try and obey all the rules, I guess. Um, but we didn't have got, like we had league mandates and um, you could get fined if, if you, if you broke the rules or you're seen out somewhere that you weren't supposed to be. Cause really we had a list of a, like five approved restaurants that we could only go and pick up like takeout from. Wow. But, Interesting. Yeah, we weren't we weren't allowed to go out to eat anywhere. We weren't allowed to um, to do anything really. And so was the COVID testing as crazy it was in the NHL? I obviously know with the you know the playoffs in the bubble last year. I mean it was daily, and you know can understand that. But what about the season? Were they testing you guys all the time? Stuff like that? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. We had the temperature checks every morning. We had a big. Um, we had an app on our phone that you had to you had to take your temperature before you went to the rink and answer this. I don't know, it was like 12 or 15 question kind of test, like how you feeling, blah, blah, blah. Um, so you do that and then you could go to the rink and then you would do your COVID test like, I don't know, two, three, sometimes four times a week. Wow. And they're a rapid test and, you know, they just drive the thing up your nose and then you go back, sit out in your car and then you wait for your results. Wow. So my uh, question here is um... – and people might not know this. I think the East Coast League is one of the only leagues that still does the three and three. You know, for our listeners, yeah. three games and three nights. And uh, um, I think East Coast is the only one doing that. Uh, how do you how do you guys manage through that and not get hurt? I mean, three games and three nights. Plus, you're playing probably a a Tuesday or a Wednesday during the week as well. Well, that's it right there. So. What's worse than the three and three is the four and five. So we we had a stretch this year of five weeks where we played Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, five weeks in a row. And so that, like, by the time you get to that Sunday game, just for your question, the three and three, the Friday game, it, it, you're good. You're, you're fresh-ish. Um, the Saturday game's all right. But the Sunday game, it, it's usually a four o'clock game. So it's less than 24 hours from the game. You just played it back to back and um, you just really got to take care of your body and do the right things away from the rink. You know, like if you got to manage any injuries that you have and, and try to take care of them, 
you got to stay in the gym and, and keep your body strong. And then you got to eat right. Like you don't have time to be like going out drinking as you know, you, you, you don't have time to be staying up late. You don't have time to, to be messing around. Like, and that's what I think some, some of the younger guys in the league struggle with because it's so much hockey in such a short amount of time that you think you can, you can go out and have a few drinks or whatever, but like it all catches up to you when you play, when you play 20 games in, in 25 days or whatever. It's nuts. And so is it difficult um, with a lot of young guys that come on to the team that maybe are draft picks and stuff, do they ever get priority over anybody in the lineup or anything um, over guys maybe that just aren't drafted? Because I know that you guys are still affiliated with St. Louis Blues. So if no, they, Anaheim. Oh, Anaheim, sorry. Anaheim, Anaheim yep. and they go ahead and you know send, send a draft pick down there to play. Does that kind of bump somebody out of the lineup automatically? Um, uh, in a way, yeah, because like ours is a developmental league, right? So they send a guy down and and they have and he he has to play, you know. Um, so that does technically eliminate our spot for somebody else, but usually they don't stay down for that long. To be honest, it's usually like a like a two week conditioning stand or or maybe three or three or four weeks at max. Um, so you just got to be aware of that, and that that just makes everybody else kind of work harder. But yeah, they do. They do get a little bit of. There's a little bit of that where they send them down and they have to play. So that's just that's just the way it is. So I do want to send a little bit of love to the defense coach, um, and I always want to say Dejardin, but I know that's not his his name, right? I mean, how do you pronounce Dejardin? Whatever, whatever you want, I guess. So, <laughs> he, so, he seems to say he doesn't care. Yeah. Um, what, what do you, what do you learn from him? I mean, you know, we always hear about, you know, Murray cause he's, he's had such a, a great career, but um, what's it like working with him? The defense. Uh, it's great. It, it, it's great. He's a, he's a really laid back guy. He's kind of like, he's kind of balances out Murray in terms of Murray's really intense and, and, and really, uh, really on edge, you know, and then Zach's out there and he, and he's kind of easygoing and, and he'll have a nice, like simple conversation with you about, what you did wrong or what you did right. And, and he'll just, he'll just be in your ear kind of good play. That's what I want to see or try this next time. He's kind of that balance and act and, and he, he's been really good for me. Yeah. So Mike, you, you, uh, you were on loan and you played uh, up in Tucson, I believe. Yep. What was, what was that like? And was it, was that your first AHL game or have you played up there before? That was my first one. So what was that like? It was awesome from the time I got there to the time I left. It was just a, a great experience. First class organization, you know, um, they had everything for you, all the gear, all the, all the clothes, whatever, whatever you needed. Um, it, it was great. I wish I would have stuck a little longer. I wish I a little, had a little bit more of a chance, but I mean, I got hurt my first shift. So it, it was kind of tough for me. Did you get hurt because of the fight? Yeah, so my first shift, I go out there, and I don't know if you guys can see on here, but yeah. I split I split my hand open on a guy's helmet. I, I got in a fight my first shift. I split my hand open. Shift was like 15 seconds. Guy says, you want to go? Let's go. Whatever. And then I went I went to the locker room to get stitched up, and, like, the uh, flap between my finger, my, my first finger and my second finger was, like, hanging off. So it took him, like, an hour and a half to stitch up. So by the time I got out back out there, it was the third period and it was a tie game. So he obviously couldn't play me. I hadn't played in, in an hour and a half. And then, um, 
the next day I couldn't even get my glove on. My hand was swollen so bad. And then I lasted two more days and they sent me back down. So but, when, um, just for the novice here, um, for the business side of hockey. So when you're alone, what does that mean? It just means that um, you're just, you're just called off. Like it, it doesn't there. Um, Tucson's just paying your salary now. Tulsa doesn't have to. Um, your, your rights basically means your rights are still with Tulsa once you get sent back down. Okay. Now you're not like, a, you're not a free agent or anything. You're just, you're just up there. Once they decide what to do with you, then you're right back in Tulsa unless, and then you're free for somebody else to call you up. And so I always like to ask this question to some of the guys that play in very odd markets for hockey. I mean, especially a guy coming from Canada. I mean, that's, that's the national sport there. When you were going to sign with Tulsa, that moment when you kind of found out, were you kind of like Tulsa, Oklahoma? <laughs> they, what, where is that? What is that? Do they have hockey there? I mean, what was your reaction? I wasn't. I wasn't because I'm in, man, I played in Lincoln, Nebraska, and we had the best fans I've ever seen in terms of junior hockey. It was crazy. And then I got here and it was the same way. Like there's not hockey's not huge down here, but the people who, who go to the games and who are fans love hockey and they know a lot about it. And there's a good market for it. I think um, I was surprised actually about how many people knew the game and, and just were excited about it and who genuinely loved hockey. I don't think there's enough rings down here for everybody. You know, like that practice rink that we go to is sold is booked up all day, every day. You know, there's one rink in town. Well, and before Andrew gets Tulsa people on our back, thanks for saying that, you know, Tulsa does have a rich, I think it goes back to 1920s. If you talk to one of the it's historians, true. It's, true. Yeah. But it's but it's just, yeah, Midwest, it's, it's football. You know, we, we, all, yeah. we all know that, but you guys play in the best arena in the East coast league. No doubt. It's crazy. It's better than some NHL arenas for sure. And yeah, it's just it's a privilege to play there. Honestly, like it's, it's it's too it's too big for us, you know. It, but it, it it's cool. It's something as, else. As long as they keep the boards and the glass from falling down, that's the only yes. complaint. Yeah. But oh, geez, yeah. Let's not even talk about. Yeah. Come on, don't put them on the spot. Does that uh, does that sometimes kill the motivation in the team? It, it has. If to. you're going and all of a sudden it's taking thirty minutes to put it up. Yeah, and it's always at the wrong time. It's usually like after we score, and then they notice something's off, so then they're they're fixing it for twenty minutes. But I don't know. It, it's it's hard. It's if if you if you haven't worked at a rink your whole life, and I don't know. My uncle runs a rink back home in uh, Richmond Hill, and he's been doing it for like thirty years. And you know, and so I don't know if those guys do, they don't know they don't know. And and so Mike. I, I just have one more question before we get into our lightning round questions, which we'll explain that in just a second. But I always like to ask this question, especially for the guys that like to drop the gloves. Who is the toughest guy that you have fought so far? In my life? Um, well, I fought a guy in junior, my first fight, Mitch Hughes. I don't think he plays anymore, but he, he knocked my tooth out when I was like 18. He was a tough guy. I remember being pretty scared of him. Um, I don't know. There's Travis Howe is pretty tough. Um, Garrett Klotz, obviously, we've had a couple good fights. The toughest, toughest guy is probably Klotz, pound for pound. He's just so he's just so long. Like I think he's six seven. He's two hundred and fifty pounds. He's hard to hit because he's got such long arms. 
Um, and he doesn't really feel it when he gets hit either. He just keeps going, you know. Um, it's hard to say, though, man. It's really hard to say. There's a lot of tough guys out there, you know. Yeah. So my wife wants me to ask this question. We ask it of, of guys that, that are, are more on the uh, enforcer roles. She wants to know, and of course, uh, I'll share the answers from our other guests, but she wants to know how can you go, you know, full speed trying to, you know, put your fist through this guy's face. But as soon as the fight's over, it's like switch goes off and you're just like, okay, good fight, man. See ya. I think it's just, well, for one, it's, it's a respect thing. Like, you know, you got to respect the other guy who you're fighting because at the end of the day, he's still man enough to, to, to fight you one-on-one, you know, there's no cheap shots. A fight's most of the time fair, you know? And then I think it's just so much adrenaline for like a short amount of time that you're at such a high that once it's over, you're both like, all right, you know, like good job, you know, and then, and then that's it. And then I don't know. It's a it's a weird situation. I don't know how to really answer that. It's you know, crazy. and that's kind of the way how everybody answers. Yeah, you know, um, is it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Some will describe it too of uh, like Shane Corson would describe it of like a if he was going to fight, even if it wasn't a premeditated thing, it was just like a switch. And once that switch goes on, that's yeah. it. You're engaged, yeah. and then when it's over, the switch just goes off, and that was the best way he explained it. But a lot of people that watch hockey that don't know hockey, yeah, they don't understand the whole code thing, but they don't understand, like, how could they be patting each other on the back after they tried to knock each other's faces off? Yeah, I think that just goes back to the code and having respect for, for another another person in, ter- in terms of that. Like, yeah, it's maybe a little bit of a brutal situation, but – at the end of the day, if you're both standing and then the refs come in and, and, and they end it and it's like, all right, we're done. And then that's, it's me. It's pretty quick. That switches off and you can settle down. It's just everything. They come down. I don't know. It's hard to explain, man. And so I got one more follow-up question. <laughs> I always like to ask, do you, oh, still, people coming. Do you still see um, value in fighting in hockey, especially in the NHL, especially, you know, people think that it's going to be gone in five or 10 years. So first of all, do you personally still see value in it? And then do you also see it still being in the NHL or in any of these leagues now that they're now setting limits for fighting? I think it should definitely be. I see a value in it. I think it should be in the league. I think it's at a decent place right now where you don't have guys who are only fighting. And I don't think it should go away. I think you need – there's so it's such a skilled game mixed with – a game where somebody can knock your head off with a clean hit that you need, you need that balancing act of having a, a couple guys who can answer the bell and a couple guys who can drop the gloves and be, and be ready to fight. I, I think it's important. I think it, when there's a guy like that on the other team, it honestly makes you play a more reserved game. And I think that goes both ways. Like when, when two guys know that they might have to answer the bell, they're, they're just not going to do something stupid. They're not going to, they're not going to whack guys on the hands and, and trying to get away with like, you see it in the NHL all the time. Guys are running each other through the boards from behind. They're hitting each other in the head. And it's like, if you had more guys who would be able to fight and, or who would be able to at least keep up with those guys in terms of playing and then could also fight. I don't know. I think it, it, it just brings more of a respect to the game, respect for each other when there's like that, if there's no fighting, I think it just turns into more like soccer where guys will dive around and try and draw penalties and guys will chirp with no consequences. And then 
they'll slash each other behind the play and it's just garbage. And so do you think, do you think it'll still be in the league or do you think it's being pushed out officially? I don't know. That's so hard to say. I hope it's still in the league, but I could probably see it leaving. I don't know. Everybody, it seems like everything's so getting just softer and in, yeah. in, in, in every, in every aspect of life, really. It's just, yeah. you know, everybody's worried. All of a sudden, everybody's got an opinion on concussions who's never played the game and, and, you know, people got problems with taking their helmets off when guys are breaking their hands over the helmets, but right. Yeah. You know, they're like, Oh, what if he hits his head on the ice? But that very rarely happens. You break your hands more than that, but nobody cares about that. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, so Mike, how do you make, cause you, you are definitely, I mean, I'm, well, I shouldn't say this. I'm being very making assumptions here, Andrew. I shouldn't, but it seems like your role is, is shifted and will continue to shift where you're going to be more valuable Stopping plays. I mean, you know, your 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 defense work is 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 so improved and is so refined right now of pushing people uh, out of in front of the net. Like I said, you're storming the net uh, where you're jumping up into the play. Um, you can't be sitting in the box anymore. You know, getting a five minute or another you know two minute instigator or whatever. You're gonna. So uh, how are you kind of going to approach? next season in the future with uh you know you're going to be more valuable with your play than with uh, your fist so to speak yeah well for me i definitely have to play more because that's i want to get i want to get called up again like i i feel like i was i was close this year i got a little bit of a sniff but it's just made me a little more hungry like and if i and if i'm playing more they don't really call guys up anymore just to fight they they call you up because you're a good player and, and you can maybe handle yourself in a fight you know so it's like if I can if I can play good at the beginning of next year and have a good start and pick up where I left off and, and, and improve from last year, I think it gives me a better chance. And then still having the toughness is is just is just an extra thing. I don't think it matters as much, but I think it doesn't hurt either. I don't know. Now, when you when you got called up to um, Arizona, um, did they specifically say, "Hey, we're looking for this role from you," or is it just like? Hey, play your game, or did the coach even acknowledge you? No, he well, he acknowledged me. We had we had a couple meetings actually, but he just said, "Play your game." We need we need a big physical forward who because uh, I played forward up there. Um, we just need you to to play kind of the fourth line role, finish your checks, go to the net, and uh, and don't let anybody take liberties on our guys. So it wasn't like we need you here. Go go fight anybody you see. It, it was like be out there and, and try and play the game, you know? And, and I respect them a lot for that because I think really they could have said, Hey, you're here for one reason, go fight that guy first, first shift you get. And they never said anything like that. They were just good people, good coaches um, who they just, I mean, they got a coach, right? So they had a player coming in. They taught me their systems. They showed me some video and they, and they said, this is, this is what we expect from you and, and just go try your hardest, you know? And they gave me a chance. Did you uh did you expect to be challenged off the faceoff? Uh, not a little bit because that guy who I fought, uh, Jacob Doty, I fought him five or six times in the East Coast League, um, and he's been he got called up halfway through uh, last year, and then he was there the whole in Ontario this whole year. Um, so I knew if it was going to be anyone, it'd probably him because he's a player a lot like myself. Like he's not out there just to be a goon, but but he'll stand up for his teammates. So like I laid a good hit on one of their defensemen actually. And uh, then he came up to me and he was like, let's go. I said, all right. Like, you know. 
I do what you gotta do. Would you wanna hit on the lightning round question? Uh, yeah, but before Mike, uh, before we get to our, our last questions here, one follow-up. So um, give us a little bit of a, uh, a bus trip story. I'll, I'll tell you one real quick that Ian Kessrich shared with us okay. and uh, backed up by Gary Steffes because they were, uh, I forget what team they both played on. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, he talked about he just got called up. Uh, he's, he's traveling on a bus. He doesn't know anybody. This is Ian. And uh, he smells something really funny, you know, like mechanical and and he finally looks down and the bus is on fire and the uh, bus driver <laughs> didn't put a, uh, put a, didn't release the emergency brake. So drove like a hundred miles with the emergency brake and the bus caught on fire. And uh, I mean, burned, they, they just got their gear out and everything else. So you might not be able to beat that, but give us kind of a, cause we know that the bus story for the, you know, AHL and ECHL can be grueling, but do you have any, you know, funny bus stories? Um, I, a few, I've heard that story from Kesper actually, because I think it was in Tulsa before I got here. And he said it was just hilarious with the guys all pulling their gear off, not hilarious, but pulling their gear off and the bus was smoking. But for us, I think kind of similar story for that was when we were playing Toledo in the, in the conference, uh, finals two years ago, we're, they're flying and we're busing back and forth. Right. So it's a, I don't know, 14 hour drive for us. So we bust, we end up winning. We bust down to there. We end up winning, winning game six, a must win. And we're all pumped. We're coming back home for game seven and it's pouring rain on the way home. And we're all sitting there. We're all kind of pumped up, like thinking about the next game. And then the whole roof just starts leaking, like multiple spots, rain pouring into the bus, like holes everywhere. And we're just driving along and we're all kind of sitting there, just put our heads down like, yeah, because we had bus issues that whole year. We'd bus 22 hours to Idaho, bus would break down, bus blow a tire, whatever, not show up on time. But yeah, we just all, and it was funny, just the reaction was the best because nobody really freaked out. Everybody was just like, yeah, that's kind of on par. And we just bus 14 hours with rain coming in into the bus and guys trying to sleep and just like, getting rain on and eating wow. their pizza, you know? <laughs> wow. Not really. Nobody complained. Everybody's just like, yep. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Get, get, uh, Steph has told us uh, an Allen story, kind of a situation where whoever they were playing for the finals, it was like South Carolina, wherever they were flying. And of course, Allen had the bus and they had these, I guess this like 25 year old bus they used to have. And it was terrible, but they loved it. And they finally got a new bus. And as soon as they got the new bus, they started losing. <laughs> so they were pissed off they wanted the old bus back. Yeah, I was going to say, did they, go get, did they go dig the old bus up? No, I think, <laughs> I think that was sold with an old skate sharpener. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my, my last question, we keep saying that, but, you know, I mean, like I said, we're so go- glad to have you here. We've got too many questions. i got nothing it's, but time. It seems to me that, that Coach Murray um, – the defensive coach, it seems like there's trying to be a culture that's developed in Tulsa, um, that it's a place where players will want to come. It, you know, it's not just 
you know, every, you know, there's a new guy coming in and every position every year, it seems like there's really a culture that MERS trying to develop in Tulsa. And, you know, maybe, I think he just got a two year extension. Mm-hmm. So yep. he wants to be here. It seems like he's, and he's definitely got roots here. Uh, do you feel that that's kind of happening with the organization? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, Murr will be going on with his extension. He'll be here for six years. And so that's a big chunk of somebody's life. Um, if I stay here with him for, for the next two years, which I'll be back next year, but the year after that, um, it's just a big chunk of your life that you invest in. Pleskatch been here for eight years, going on nine. A um, bunch of guys with four years here. I think guys want to come here because it's just a good spot to play. Like besides how nice the arena is and everything, um, it's just it's good weather. You know, it's it's a friendly it's a friend, friendly town. It, like it's a kind of smaller city but with kind of big city feeling a little bit sometimes yeah yeah um, i think and they're just the people are so nice down here it's it's just a good spot i mean me and my fiance rent a house down here and and you know we have a lot of friends that are just just people from tulsa that we've met and they're just good people invite us over and it's a good place to build a home start a family whatever you know so i see no problem with tulsa i hope more guys want to come down here i think there's places like that in the league like south carolina or florida where people want to go and I think Tulsa's right up there or at least it should be yeah I agree I agree all right so we're going to um, kind of end with lightning round questions we're just going to ask a quick question um, you can answer with you know one or two words or if you've got a story you can say a story but we're going to kind of let you do the talking us just fast questions okay can I pass because I'm not good at these situations um yeah, but you can pass, but we're going to get back to it. All right. <laughs> All right, so here we go. I'll start. Ready? Go ahead. And this can be throughout your entire career, not just in the East Coast League. Sure. Favorite line mate? Alex Crom. A player that can get under your skin the most. I'd have to think about that one, man. Come back to me. Uh, I favorite arena, which I assume is going to be BOK, but I don't. So favorite arena would be. I have to say the Icebox in Lincoln, man. They had a they had a light show and a smoke show, and it was small, and they had dollar beer night, and fans would throw their beers on the ice, and it was nuts. It's, you got to look it up on YouTube. It was the craziest thing. Wow, ever. wow, Lincoln, we're gonna have to look it up. ACDC Thunderstruck is, is nuts. Who is now, and, I, and I'm not referring to fighting on this one. I, that's pretty much what I asked earlier, but the toughest player on the ice that you've played against, just somebody you can't get the puck past. It can't move. Yeah. Toughest guy. Well, I played with uh, Noel Achari, who plays for Florida. Um, I, I played with him back in, back in the day, and when we were 17, 18, he was the toughest guy around in terms of hardest player to play against, for sure. And he's shown it, yeah. The craziest or funniest thing to happen to you in a game? Uh, Losing my skate blade. And you just lose the blade out of your skate, you know, and you're stuck. And it takes a really good skater to be able to skate on just one blade and kind of weave his way out. And I can't do that. So I'm out there trying to push off the one but you can't push off, so you're sliding around. Happened to me in Idaho, and the fans went nuts. The, loved it. the arena with the worst ice condition. Ah. 
Oh. Um. Wichita. Brutal. Always brutal. They had to cancel yeah, what, game this year because of poor ice conditions. Yeah, what is it like playing in, in Wichita? Uh, great. Besides the ice, uh, big rivalry, rivalry, we play them four, 14 to 18 times a year. Um, so it's, it's a battle every time. It's, it's fun, heated games. Um, the, the best visiting uh, arena, or should I say town to go to? So it's sort of not, not the arena or the ice, but just the uh, best place in the East Coast League to travel to and have some off time. Idaho. Idaho. And why is that? They got a, a great arena that's connected to a hotel. So half the hotel's half the hotel rooms look onto the ice and it's like a big bowl and they have a big, they get a lot of fans and then it's right um, close to the campus of Boise state. And it's a nice little downtown area. Um, and usually when you go there, you're there from Tuesday till Sunday. So you get a little bit of a long trip there. It's a good time. Um, I know that this is kind of a broad question, but so far in your career, what has been your favorite hockey memory? Probably getting drafted. Um, also, my first my first goal in the East Coast because um, it took me a long time to get. Um, that that was pretty cool. Also, getting called up for my my first game, getting called up was probably yeah. This year, getting called up was probably the best one for me. Awesome. So, Mike, uh, as we come to a close, what is Mike McKee going to be doing this summer? Uh, both for uh, I don't know if you're going to have a job or, but what are you going to be doing training wise to get you know yourself ready? Because, like I said, four years in the league. Um, and I mean, I don't want to make any predictions and I hope you're in Tulsa, but I have a feeling you're going to be playing a lot more elsewhere in another league. So how are you preparing yourself to, uh, you know, continue to move on? Well, uh, we were done on Friday. I started work on Monday. I'm working uh, six to three 30 every day with the plumbing company in town in Tulsa. Um, trying to save up money cause we're, we're getting married uh, next summer. So um trying to save up money, man. And then, and then work, work out after that as much as I can. So just, how are you getting, to, ice, how are you getting ice time? If you're going to be in town for the summer? No ice time right now. Um, going to take a couple weeks off. Um, but then me and Pleskatch usually skate at four 30 in the morning at the OIC, because that's the only ice slot available for us in the whole town. It's not. Do you hate waking up that early to go skate or is it, are you used yeah, to it? Yeah, you get used to it after a couple of weeks, but like that's the only time we can get on the ice. And because people have, there was a lot, people love hockey down here. And so, yeah, they, they usually, uh, Zach DeHarnay usually opens the doors for us at 4.30, whatever, jump on there for an hour and then go to work. So, Wow. Wow. Mike, we can't thank you enough. Uh, I, you know, you've been one of my favorite guests only because we see him play all the time, but we want to thank you so much for joining us here and uh, hopefully you had fun talking a little bit of hockey in your career. Yeah. Anytime guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. If you ever see us uh, in Bruins jerseys at the game screaming like maniacs, that is us every time. Okay. <laughs> well, we, we got Tulsa one too. I, I wear the uh, Providence, my old Providence jersey just for Murr, but I don't know if he, <laughs> yeah. I, he, I don't think he looks around in the crowd too much. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Mike. I appreciate it. Hang on one second. Okay, your fan favorite, my fan favorite, Mike McKee. 
And man, if you guys don't watch ECHL hockey, which a lot of people don't, he is a beast. And like you said, most improved player, um, you know, it, it's been a pleasure. I mean, watching a fan favorite not only go from just being kind of an enforcer role to being very, very valuable on the ice. You can see Rob Murray really, I think, finds value in him, like you were talking about earlier, Dad. And I mean, it's just a pleasure watching him. Great guy, too. Another one of those guys who fights a lot that just – they're not mean guys. He's he's like a McAvoy for the Bruins, where he's he's the Iron Man. He's playing you know 20, 25, even more than twenty five minutes a game now, and he clears that front of the net like because he's so big, he's so strong. But like I said, he can jump into the play. He's got a really wicked slap shot. Um, I I hope personally that he stays in Tulsa, but um, I think he's getting to the point where he might, you know, I don't want to jinx him, but uh, I think AHL is what clearly they're watching him. He was loaned up to uh, yep. Tucson and uh, we, we wish him all the best. He's uh, certainly, I don't hit his prime yet. So he's got a lot more to go. He's got more improvement. His attitude is, is, always been great he takes you know i mean like i said murray really kind of was i mean on him on him all the time that. i remember we had we discussed that too and right and i was and i was saying it's because he sees something in in mckee and clearly he did and it's and it's and it's paying off so uh like i said he's a humble guy uh mike doesn't know this you know i, I met him one time a couple times but one time after a game he had stitches coming off of his forehead and to his eyebrow, his eye was bruised. I mean, he had taken a beating over the last few games, and yet he still dropped the gloves and was fighting. And, and literally, you up close to him, talking to him, I mean, you could tell he was hurting, man. His face was hurting. Oh, yeah. Well, it's crazy that, I mean, his face would be hurting like that, yet he's not afraid to fight anybody still. I mean, that's next-level tough I can never relate to. Right. And it's, and it's a level I think that coaches and organizations are going to need because we do have not to throw any players under the bus, but we do have some players I think that kind of float around and, you know, they think they're too good to get in the corners and dig or, you know, clear the front of the net. And, you know, uh, we wish Mike all the best. And uh, for anybody that's a Mike McKee fan that might be listening to this, um, yeah, you've got uh, a great player there and we look forward to seeing Mike. He said he was, back in Tulsa again next year. He'll be back next year. All right. So he said that that was good and he might get picked up. And if he does, we'll be the first ones to uh, follow his career because uh, I I definitely think he'll be, uh, has uh, much more better things to do in his career. Yeah, absolutely. So once again, we appreciate everybody, including our Tulsa Oilers fans coming on, especially for this kind of special episode for them, catered to them. We also hope all the other fans had a good time listening to this, you know, a guy grinding in the minors, I mean, it never stops. The grind doesn't. Paying his dues. We love these guys, uh, you know, and especially the ones that do make it to the NHL, even if it's for a game or two, uh, you know, they pay their dues and, you know, they're definitely two-way players. It's very difficult for them. And uh, check us out, Apple Podcasts. Give us a good five-star rating. We're everywhere else. We don't even need to name them. Anywhere podcasts are now. And, again, we thank uh, Black and Gold LLC, Mark, for, uh, you know, taking this on and providing our distribution and all the help that he does. And uh, we have uh, be back next week or the next guest, um, but we've got to confirm our next guest, right? Or No, next guest is confirmed. Oh, okay. Jim Thompson, former NHL player, not off the top of my head, don't know how many teams, but he was a regular in the NHL and he'll be on here next Monday. And dad, before we go. Yes. 
The game is tonight. Oh, of course, know. this will be. Don't put me on a spot. Tomorrow. Yep. The, the end result already be there. I am putting it on record right now, just so I know that I'm right. Bruins win tonight, four to two. What's your prediction? I'm not making a prediction because make a prediction. No, because every time I make a prediction, it, it's always wrong. Yeah, but every time I need you to say that. All right, so no, I don't. I don't think the Bruins win tonight. How's that? And that's your honest opinion too. That's what I needed. No, I mean I think they could pull it off, but you know they get they get issues. You got to have faith in the boys. Yeah, the defense. I do have faith. I don't want to be like a fair weather fan, but you want me to be pessimistic, so I'll be pessimistic. I, I need you to be. Remember, we will go over the story again one time, but. 2013 game seven last 13 minutes against Toronto and you had made this Facebook status <sighs> dissing the Bruins saying that they're over a terrible team. I know came back and won. So I have, I, I, I'm, and, I haven't done it. And the other night, I just want to make record the other night when we were down five, two dad's like, yep, team's done. And obviously they, did, they lose? did they lose? They did, but it was just funny. I'm sitting there laughing on the couch. Like they're coming back. They're coming back. Like they could score and tie it. I'm going to, Freak out today. People can listen to uh, the uh, the first four game recap of Bruins Islanders with uh, me and Dave uh, Capiano. Uh, you know, I was very positive about the Bruins as well, even critical. So I'll, I'll I won't rehash that. But if the Bruins do move on, I did uh, approach Dave um, Capiano to uh, give us a final wrap up in that series. I think if the Bruins lose, we'll probably pass because no one will want to listen to a podcast about the Bruins losing. The Bruins fans will be pretty upset about that. But if they do win, uh, Dave said he would uh, be more than happy to come on and talk about the last, you know, games five through. It would have to be seven if the Bruins win. It's true. So I know that this will be tomorrow, but <laughs> go Bruins. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you.